0: Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. I'm really glad you're here. In this episode, I'm welcoming back Joanna Lilly to the podcast. If you're a loyal listener, you might remember Joanna from episodes 33 and 69. If you missed those episodes, be sure to check them out because Joanna always provides incredible advice for parents of teens and young adults. During our conversation, Joanna and I discussed something called Early Alert. It might have a different name based on the college or university, but basically, it's the point during the first semester of college, about midway through, when students are identified as at risk for failing a class. For parents who have close communication with their kids, this might not be a surprise, but in many cases, parents have no idea that their young adult is struggling and by the time they find out, it's too late to take action. Joanna shares her experience inside higher ed and how schools identify struggling students. She talks about the difference between student retention and student success, and why declaring a major can help keep students engaged. Be sure to listen to the end when Joanna provides helpful advice for parents about how to help their young adults when they're struggling. Now let's get started. Hey, Joanna, thanks so much for being here again on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Excited to be back. Oh, you're like a regular around here. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. So for my listeners, Joanna's been here a couple times before, and we didn't really have a podcast interview scheduled, but we started talking last week and I said to her, we need to do an episode about this. And she, of course, said, yes, we do. Um. So... Before we get started, Joanna, there may be people out there who haven't heard you on my podcast before. I find that hard to believe, but they might exist. So, would you just do a quick intro of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. My name is Joanna Lilly. I'm a therapeutic consultant
1: uh, now based in right outside of Traverse City, Michigan. But really, it doesn't matter because I work with families, uh, both nationally and internationally, specifically helping the majority of my clients being those that launched into higher education. And I like to say that they unraveled. So helping the young adult and the parent identify outpatient resources or residential resources to get the young adult stable, sober, whatever it is that they need, and then back on track, in quote, to whatever that looks like for their emerging adult life.
0: So much value in what you do. I mean, there always has been, but particularly now as so many people are feeling kind of lost and unsure of what's next. And this is that time of year where college students are kind of getting that dose of reality about how they're doing and if they're kind of falling off the curve. So that's what we're going to talk about today, that early alert season, as I'm going to call it, um, what it is, when it happens, how to avoid it, what to do about it, because Joanna is an expert on this. So let's start with that. So early alert, what is it? Why is it important? and, And what do parents need to know about it?
1: Okay. Three great questions. So first and foremost, early alert is usually, and again, every college or university is different. So I always feel like I need to front load with that statement um, because the the college or university that your child is at, it may may be called something different. But early alert is essentially a collaboration between student affairs professionals that want to provide support to students with academic affairs, specifically really high freshman level classes where students, statistically speaking, earn, like they have a high DF rate. So students actually don't do well, specifically first semester college students. So early alert is the collaboration to identify the students that are on a path to potentially get a D or an F in a class.
0: Okay, so this typically starts to happen, you said freshman year, halfway through the first semester? Yes, right around the, the actual, I wouldn't call
1: it the mid-semester mark, but we're calling it early alert because it usually comes right after the first wave of exams uh, or right around kind of midterms. And believe it or not, when it comes to college, if you're on an actual semester system, mid to early October is midterms. So for students, I mean, we're already mid-September right now. We're talking about midterms coming up here in the next few weeks. That's It just flies by. I think it's really important for parents to be aware of this because they aren't usually the ones that are receiving this information. Regardless of whether or not you have that, that FERPA box checked to receive information, a lot of parents just don't realize that, colleges are actually doing this initiative behind the scenes, because the student affairs and academic affairs professionals are targeting the student. It's the student's job to check their email, it's the student's job to be accountable and understand where they, where they stand in these classes, and it's the student's job to take the initiative to make changes, right? So even if the parent is aware of all of this, again, all of the effort for outreach is placed on the student, Why is it important, again, for parents to know? Because if your son or daughter, your college student has all D's Ds or F's at this point by the mid-semester mark, let's just talk about the financial investment of a college semester, right? Because if you can withdraw and salvage some of those grades, or if you can withdraw from some classes versus the entire semester, again, it's important to just kind of look big picture because you don't want to end up being completely blindsided by a 0.0 transcript, right? Semester GPA, being completely unaware of where your student was. And then irate at the college or university because they didn't do anything.
0: So here's a question for you. Back in the early episode that you were on, it was episode 33, which was quite a while ago. Uh, episode titled Transitioning from Parent to Partner. And listeners, if you haven't heard this one, I highly recommend it. The link will be in the show notes. But you were very clear about parents needing to back off, not having access to their student grade portal, not being uh, you know, up to date every minute on their grades and what they're doing. And I, I completely agree with that, the hands-off mentality. But if we do take that approach and we are hands-off, we're not going to get any warning signs about an early alert or something like it.
1: Great point, Betsy, because I think what I was actually trying to allude to in that particular uh, initial episode 33 was for the parents that are actually asking for their child's login information. That's a big no, no, right? That's, that's invasive. That is not, I, I mean, like that's just a hard, no, do not do that. Now what I want you to do though is when you check the FERPA box, that does give you access to being able to reach out to speak with your child's advisor, right? Be In being a partner, reach out at the mid-semester mark if you know that the university is doing any type of early alert outreach to students. Especially reach out to the academic advisor or whoever it is that might be kind of the child's point of contact if You don't believe that your child is actually doing well, right? You've seen some red flags that they're struggling. You're concerned that they're being dishonest with themselves or with you about where they stand, which we're calling cognitive dissonance as a student. Um, Or you just like, again, from that financial perspective, are really worried about the timeline because some colleges or universities, here's a fun fact, will have deadlines throughout the semester, if you withdraw by X date, you'll get X amount of percentage of the tuition dollars back. The more time passes throughout the semester, the less you're, you're able to recoup. Again, as a parent, just be conscientious more so of that deadline rather than being all intrusive and asking for updates on weekly grades, etc.
0: That's hard not to do, especially when they're a freshman, right? Because, you know, they're out of out of the house and they're on their own and it's a new environment, and we all know that the first semester of college is a bit overwhelming, but I mean, you're right we we have to l- do less over parenting, especially where this is concerned. So is there a way to kind of predict or understand who might fall into this you know warning this warning group or this group of people who are who get these early alerts?
1: Yeah, another great question. And and my immediate generalized answer is that every college or university, their response will be different. So one particular school, uh, this is again, we're kind of getting into the weeds, which is like fascinating about data and and statistics related to student success and retention. Every college and university has their own institutional research department. That particular department is collecting data on everything and anything. So if we're talking about student persistence, are we talking about matriculation and graduation? Are we talking about like we're getting down into the weeds, though, too, of where is the student originally from? What was their high school GPA or their SAT or or ACT score? when they transitioned? Are they a first generation college student versus um, a legacy student? Whatever the situation may be. And every college and university can actually break it down with a particular student profile that is the student that is least likely to actually remain a student after the first year.
0: Isn't that, that's just wild to me. Yeah. The data, I'm such a data nerd. I love that kind of stuff. So, (sighs) I'm curious then if they have that data do they use that in admissions as well right because gosh admissions is a whole other episode which I've done and will keep doing but you know the, the magic formula to admissions right for some kids it's like well we can't figure it out he was valedictorian and he had you know super high SAT and his GPA was one of the highest in his class but he didn't get into X school and that's another conversation but will admissions people look at that same um, institutional research when they consider who they admit
1: no because that would technically be discriminatory okay. <laughs> that, that would be my hard answer um okay. and for a student that falls within that criteria the admissions department is going to be essentially the first wave because here we're, we're, we're backing up. A student applies just because they apply doesn't necessarily mean they're admitted. If they're admitted, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're enrolling. So there's so many data points to which a university can also look back at the admissions department and say, why is this particular subgroup of students, even though we're, we're accepting them, they're not enrolling? How do we market to this particular student profile better, more efficiently so that they actually enroll? Sidebar conversation. Forget that, I I digress. Uh, But for the students that do technically meet the criteria, again, a student is admitted, they decide that they're going to come to X school, then everybody on the student affairs side of things knows they will each get a list of students. Here, like as the academic advisor, here's my students that are most at risk of not actually remaining a student, whether it's after the first semester or the first year or beyond. So that particular, I mean, again, we're in the weeds. Every school is then saying, potentially, you need to have at least three points of contact for each of these students on the front end. We're talking about advisor, student success coach, professors, you name it. Again, every university has a different plan for outreach, but they are Absolutely. And there's no reason why any student should feel like nobody at the university reach out to me because I can almost guarantee to you that that inbox for that student is filled with outreach from professionals across the university saying, you know, hey, Betsy, we'd love for you to meet us because, you know, like, we just we wanna make sure that you feel welcome on this campus. It is because they want to make sure you feel welcome on campus, but the reality is they know, statistically speaking, that you're most at risk of not actually retaining as a student. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness. Featuring discussions with world-renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals, Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of Driven Living.
0: Is there a profile that's most at risk right now? funny you should ask
1: because literally just last week the wall street journal actually i'm like giggling and it's also terrifying actually as i share this with you the wall street journal published an article just last week titled a generation of american men give up on college i just feel lost um and it talks about for the first time in a really long time there's a significant gap in young women versus young men that are enrolled on campus. And I can just speak anecdotally from the universities that I worked in, both in the student success and retention departments, the young men were actually the ones that were most at risk. So again, you could actually, one of the institutions, you could pinpoint not just the the out-of-state student, but you could get it down to the state and potentially the region within the state that this subgroup of young men was from, or where they're from, and that that particular group was least likely to actually retain on that particular campus.
0: So I'm trying to find the the right question to ask here. So is there specific criteria about that group of young men? Like, for example, first gen college student, um, socioeconomic background, was there something specific about them that made... Them stand out as a group that was at risk? Most likely it was just related
1: to GPA and the fact that they were a male. Um, so again, going back to the institutional research, right, that department that on that particular university's campus was doing copious amounts of research on who is actually co- who's enrolling who and who is then subsequently not re- being retained after the first year. And so that report is then passed out to all student success departments. So when I say student success, I'm saying everything within student life, right? Organizations, technically academic advising, depending on the university, falls within the space. Success, um, just engagement, residence life all across the board. Everything that's like really trying to make it a, an experience, everything that's in the non-academic space. Let's just let's simplify that. Um, But everybody knows the students that are least likely to remain on campus. So university-wide, there are outreach initiatives to target those particular students.
0: So it's all about retention for the university. And you and I talked about this in a previous episode, the difference between student retention and student success. Even though a lot of universities lump those two things together they're not necessarily the same thing and they may be mutually exclusive. Am I right? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And and because the departments that I worked in were titled student success and retention. Right. Kind of wild. So what we're talking about here is the university cares about, I'm I'm just going to be crass again, right? Higher education is a business and as a business, they are trying to continue To cover their expenses, right? Meet their overhead, pay their faculty, pay their staff. And that means that they need to have X number of out of state students and in state students that are paying the bills. If they aren't, this is where the institutional research comes in. They need to identify where is the loss right where is this like where is there a hole in the dam that's poten- potentially leaking a large amount of revenue um uh, now when we talk about student success we're just talking in general about the actual student their engagement their matriculation meaning how are they actually doing holistically so even though again some offices or departments have a title where it's kind of synonymous and certainly they do collaborate, but we are talking about two completely different things, right? Retention is, it's the business of the business. How do we make sure students stay on campus? Student success is how do we actually make sure that they're a thriving human being and they're, they're essentially acquiring the skills that they need to be successful, again, subjective word, open to interpretation, once they earn a degree from our institution and launch into the work world.
0: Yeah, I noticed um, recently, was it US News and World Reports, one of the best of lists, and I don't pay a lot of attention to the best of lists because I don't believe, I believe best is best for you, not best what everybody says in the media. But the recent list, I think it was Forbes, um, said they changed up their formulas this year and they are also including like return on investment and success after graduation and all that kind of stuff, which I was really glad to see. And as a parent of a teenager right now who's searching for colleges right now, one of the metrics I've been paying attention to has been, you know, returning after freshman year, right? Freshman year retention. And I'll see a school and it'll be in the 20 or 30 or what 40%, and an alarm goes off over my head. I'm like, hmm, why? You know? But based on what you're saying now, it might have to do with the student, but it might just have to do with the efforts or lack of efforts of the school to retain them. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, completely. Though, as a student affairs professional myself, I will. It would. It would behoove me to say that anybody that works in student affairs, uh, we are working tirelessly to engage students. It doesn't matter the institution. Now the more pronounced the name, the more emphasis that's placed on ensuring that students are actually staying. And you think about it too, it it also ties to a larger alumni base, right? If you have students that are staying, they're graduating, they want to continue to be associated with the name. So it's, it's, I mean, it's statistically speaking again too, any college that has above an 80% first year retention rate is actually doing a really good job. Uh, they are they are moving mountains or trying to move mountains, and you know they can look at the data and we can say that students the students that are leaving are leaving for a plethora of reasons, right finances, death in the family, disinterest in continuing education, like you name it, the list goes on for schools where it's less than you know sixty percent or less than 40% for a first year student group, I would really look at what is going on institutionally for that large of a a student percentage of that class, why they wouldn't be returning.
0: So I'm a parent and my young adult is struggling mid-semester, whether they told me or didn't tell me and I found out about it. How, as a parent, do you know when to you know nudge them to try harder and stay at it, or say, you know what, it's time to withdraw? Like, how what's the tipping point for that?
1: Oh, this is, I wish there was a clearly defined, easy answer for this, and the reality is, it kind of comes it boils down to two things in my mind one, how well do you know your child and is there open communication and trust right so why would i say that because if you if you know your child and clearly they are trying to pull the wool over your eyes then you can have a really serious conversation with them about what's going on and and truly come up with a plan right also i think a part of that which is just like this second layer is really making sure that you go into that conversation with zero judgment, zero shaming and encouraging your child that whatever happened, right? If you need help, if you need to take a break, it's okay. Let's do that because what's most important to me is you rather than you know, school, which actually kind of rolls into here's here's the other boiled down piece. If you are the parent who is Driving completing the semester, you are reinforcing this conversation with your child that their mental health, their overall well being is less important than completing and earning grades. And it's hard for a parent to say, well, why, yeah, like, why is that an issue, right? Again, especially if we're talking about college freshmen. Right, we're only a what six weeks into the semester, not even. And if they're coming from a really high caliber high school where you are all drive, 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 high pressure system, and now they're in in, enrolled in a school where it matters, right? All of a sudden, the parent you're not going to flip that switch that quickly to immediately take your foot off of the accelerator and thinking, go get your degree, go get your degree, go get your degree. It's hard to switch gears so early on in the semester. And it's also important for you as a parent just to kind of start to, I mean, we're going back to that comment too about the individuation as a parent, right? How do you actually peel back? Well, part of peeling back doesn't mean not being invested in your child's well-being and only being invested in the fact that they complete a college semester.
0: I'm hearing from a lot of parents, I'm reading it in social media, like in in parent groups and stuff, that kids are one, two weeks into freshman year and they're calling, mom, come and get me. I'm coming home. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I know there's a certain amount of adjustment and being away from home, but I guess you're right. You have to know your kid because you have to know when when you really do need to get in the car and go get them. So... This is a topic that is related and that is so controversial. Every time I'm in a conversation about this or read a, a Facebook post about it or or read something in the media about it, the undeclared major, let's talk about this. So I am of the belief, and I am not an expert or a genius, but I am of the belief that you are better off having an idea at least of a general program of study when you go into college than to go in undeclared and say, "Figure, I'll figure it out when I get there. What's your two cents on that?
1: I actually like that you said having a general idea, because I think that there's actually two types of students that go into college as an undeclared major. There are those that are strategically claiming undeclared, even though they have a per- particular degree in mind, but they're for whatever reason, choosing on the admissions application to go undeclared. Maybe it's for their benefit, you know, who knows what. Um, but they have an idea of what they want to do. They're just interested in potentially checking that box for being declared. On the other hand, you have the student that is just like following the herd. I'm going to go to college because that's what I'm supposed to do, but I have no earthly idea what I'm going to study. And I'll tell you, anecdotally, not statistically, those are the students that I see flounder the most because they have no vision, they have no direction. And once you get there, like you said, right? Just a moment ago, homesickness is real in college students, mm-hmm. even for the ones that are the most driven and excited about moving away. And I can't wait to like launch in college and you know meet my residence, my, my dorm mate, whatever. The reality is college, that transition is really hard for young people. And it's really easy for people to say from a social and emotional space, this is not what I signed up for. I thought college was going to be a lot different. And when you don't have that hook for academics of interest, because again, an undeclared student's going to come in and you're checking as many of those core classes right off, but they're not, they're not necessarily exciting, right? You should take math, you should take English, you should take some sort of science. Well, if you just came from 12 straight years of constantly studying those subjects, what differentiates being a college student? Right. It's all of a sudden you lose this spark and passion that you had about being a student. So the other thing that's actually really important to know, too, is that undeclared or not, 80 percent of college students actually change their degree at least once anyways, so mm-hmm. it is what it is and I'll just say this I'm not a parent but I've worked with a lot of college students and I just look at the the dollar signs for four year institutions and as they continue to just skyrocket we're not saying they're they're increasing they're skyrocketing. So for a student that has no idea what they want to study there is no shame in going to a community college for a fraction of the cost having those very very tiny class experiences where you're able to really engage with faculty and professor to really explore what it is that you want to do go that route. You asked for my opinion, I just gave it to you.
0: And I always appreciate your opinion. <laughs> and I agree with you. I mean there's there's no rush to go to a big four year school. It'll be there when you get there. I'm a huge proponent of of community college. Everybody knows that. I went to a community college. So there you go. And if none of the above, look, we've talked about gap years. I've done episodes on gap years. You're a big fan of gap years. It just all boils down to finding the best fit at the right time, right? It's what's the next best step for me at this point in my life? Not forever, but at that point. So thank you for that insight. So any other thoughts for parents about what they can be doing anything they can be looking for any words of advice that they can give to their kids to help them through maybe a, a tough time they're having right now?
1: Oh my goodness so much is just kind of going through my brain um, I'm going to I'm gonna pitch several things with this answer So I think first and foremost one of the books, that I recommend to every single one of the families that I work with. Because again, all of my clients are current or former college students. Um, the book, The Campus Cure by Dr. Marsha Morris, who is the university psychiatrist at the University of Florida, wrote this amazing book that not just highlights significant mental uh, health struggles in college campuses but we're talking about homesickness or perfectionism or something that may feel like it it could easily be overlooked by a parent but she comes at this with each chapter um, from a from a medical perspective a medical professional perspective on a college campus and specifically is giving advice to parents I cannot rave enough about this book. So if you don't own it, you need to you need to order it immediately.
0: Yeah, I have to second it because I do own it. It's a fantastic book. And Dr. Morris herself was in episode 22 of this podcast and gave some spot on advice. So if you haven't listened to that one, listen to that too. But great recommendation.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, I think another thing that's beneficial, well, so I'll, I'll give one more kind of st- a resource, and then you ask the question, "What can a parent say?" So I think that's actually something I really, I definitely want to answer. Um, so I just launched uh, a online parent community um, called the College Parent Survival Network. Um, it is an online, completely confidential and or secure um, college parent community. That's totally what it is. It's supposed to be, you know, like the Facebook groups that exist for parents, but instead of putting some vulnerable question out there to only be judged and attacked or given really bad advice, we're growing a very tight-knit community of parents that genuinely want to support each other to be non-judgmental and to give good advice on what it is that they did to get through things for their child, and then also get those questions answered for themselves. So I co-founded that with two other consultants, uh, one in California and, and one in New York City slash Connecticut. Um, and we are, like I said, we're grow- growing slowly, but you can find us online if that's of interest to you. The ultimate goal is to expand to be able to provide resources also for the parents of former college students, right? So somebody who's taken a break or somebody who's just not going the college route, because that's also actually a majority of young people. So we want to make sure that we're providing support for all these people. So as, as the um, college parent survival network grows, we'll make sure that we actually have um, these subgroups available. I'll put a link to
0: that in the show notes.
1: Perfect. And then the last thing that I would say to a parent is, When you're talking to your child, it's always important to use I feel statements. This is like so elementary when it comes to just emotional intelligence. But we don't, again, I'm I'm coming at this as a non-parent giving advice to parents. So I want to acknowledge that. It's really hard to not immediately go to solution focused or like just you know, quick fixes when it comes to your kid, right? It, it, it's the old, like, pick yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Like, are you sure you can't get through the semester? Oh, you should be able to do all these things. So what you don't understand is that there's a subconscious message that's being reinforced with your young adult, right? If they have, if they're struggling with their own internal dialogue or narrative that says, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be here, I'm, I'm a failure, I've disappointed my parents, What you need to say to your child, first and foremost, is I feel concerned about you. Um, I'm not sure that you're telling me the truth of how things are really going on campus. And I just want you to know that I love you. And if you need to withdraw, that's okay. Right. You can literally Google I feel statements and you can get a million examples and obviously craft something that's more appropriate to you, your young adult, and what it is that you need to say. But it's really important for you as a parent to touch like touch base with what it is that you're actually feeling in relation to your child instead of immediately going to that giving advice and the the band-aid over the gaping wound because that's not going to do anything but hurt you and hurt your child more.
0: I love that advice. It's so empowering to to young people to say to them you have permission to pivot. Like you don't have to keep going down this path anymore if it's not a good fit for you. And I think it's a lot, you know, it's a huge investment to go to college of time and god knows money. And to say to your to your young person, it's okay to walk away from that is painful, but it's going to be a lot more painful if they stay and and unravel as you describe it. So super, super insightful. Thank you. As always.
1: Um, it is so much easier said than done. That's why I said, Google it and actually write out what you want to say, because it's really easy I mean, if you listen to anybody and if somebody says, talk about how you're feeling, the majority of people will say, I feel like dot, dot, dot. And as soon as you say like, you're not actually tapping into the emotional side of what the, what's supposed to be said, you know, it you're, you're totally skimming the surface, staying in the cognitive or cerebral space and avoiding the emotional part of that conversation. So, you know, you can there are also emotion wheels. So, if you're also just like, "Hey, I don't even know what words are technically emotions." No lie. You can also Google emotion wheels and then you'll get this laundry list of, you know, your 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 high points, right? Happy, sad, you know, mad, kind of a deal, and then it branches off to even deeper emotions. So as a parent, again, just tuning into truly what it is that you're feeling, sharing that with your child, and then reflecting back.
0: And talk about a great way to be vulnerable, which I think is always super important for our kids to see us. I'm honest with my kids about my emotion and my struggles, and I think um, having a, a bigger vocabulary or, a, or more resources to be able to communicate that to them is really important, but also teaches them how to learn how to be that kind of person too. So, oh, so good. So before we go, where can people find and follow you?
1: First and foremost, you can go to lilyconsulting.com. That's L-I-L-L-E-Y consulting.com. And honestly, I'll just say that That is my website for my therapeutic consulting practice. And if you go to that site, you can then access all of the social media links, right? LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of that's connected. In terms of the College Parent Survival Network, you can actually access that through another website that I, um, this is kind of our landing page, but it's collegealternative.org because it actually started out being a, essentially a therapeutic gap year landing page. And it still is. We're getting families kind of inquiring with us, like, what do we do? Um, But that's where we're housing, accessing that CPSN network. Perfect.
0: I will include all those links. Thanks again for being such a great guest. I love having you on.
1: Thank you for doing what you're doing.
0: As always, Joanna brings so much valuable experience and insight to the show. As a parent of a high school senior, I'm learning a lot about what's ahead as my teen starts to explore and plan for college next year. I'm grateful for Joanna's expert advice on how to help our family navigate this uncharted territory. It's a huge transition for our kids as they take the next step on their journey, but it's also a huge change for parents. Communication is key as we find a way to step back and give them their independence, while also staying engaged enough to ensure that our kids are thriving in their next chapter. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful you're listening. Please take a minute and leave me a rating or review in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 988 where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. And if you know of a teenager who is unsure of their next step after high school, a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their options, I can help. You can learn more about me and the coaching I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.